Welcome to All Sides with Ann Fisher. A jury last week found former Ohio House Speaker Larry Householder and former state GOP Chairman Matt Forges guilty of crimes for their roles in a $61, billion, $61 million bribery scheme. Republican State Representative Brian Stewart, whose motion led to Householder's expulsion from the House two years ago, said the trial gave Ohioans, quote, a disturbing look at public corruption of the worst kind, end quote. Democrats crowed and vowed to introduce legislation to shut down dark money groups, a move cheered by groups pushing for greater transparency in state government. It's our weekly reporter roundtable. Laura Hancock is a statehouse reporter at Cleveland.com. Welcome back. Laura. Good morning. And Natalie Fami is the Statehouse reporter for WCMH TV Channel 4. Welcome back, Natalie. Happy to be here. And Laura Bischoff covers politics and state government uh, for the USA Today Network Ohio Bureau. She broke the story of Larry Householder's arrest in July 2020 and has ever since covered the case, including the seven-week trial that just ended. Welcome back, Laura. Hey, thanks. Glad to be here. Welcome home. Yeah, I'm glad to be home, although <laughs> the Queen City did really grow on me. <laughs> yeah. Cincinnati's really nice. It's a beautiful place. Um, so for those who may have missed the nonstop news coverage, let's just go back to Thursday when the guilty verdicts were read. I mean, what was going on in the, in the courtroom that day? Well, it's interesting. The, the jurors came back after deliberating a little over nine hours, like nine hours and 15 minutes by our calculation. And, uh, and it was the, over the course of two days. Right. They started on Wednesday morning and, and finished up Thursday early afternoon, about one thirty or so. And the judge, uh, Tim Blacks, uh, kind of pre-warned everyone, like no outbursts on either side, no matter which way it goes. And um, and so uh, I was in there and, you know, the jurors uh, filed in and the, the, the foreperson, they announced who the foreperson was. We it was coach, the guy, we, the really tall. We knew there was a basketball coach on the jury, <laughs> uh-huh. and this guy was like six foot ten. So we're thinking he was the basketball coach. Uh, and he hands the paper to the judge. The judge reads it, and there's absolutely no reaction from either Borges or Householder. Um, you know, no, no heavy sighs, no, you know, Sobbing. head in hand, nothing yeah. like that. They were very stoic about it. And then, um, you know, everybody files out and. and and um, Borges kind of dodged the media and went out uh, the other exit, and he some some reporters caught up with him, and then um, Householder basically held a press gaggle out on the on the steps of the courthouse and said he was he respects the jury's decision, but he's he's disappointed and he's going to appeal. They're both going to appeal. Correct. On uh, what do you, did they say on what basis? Uh, other than they don't like the outcome. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't really, I'm not a lawyer, so I don't really know what, what grounds they might have. Um, the It seemed that the householder team was sort of laying some groundwork for that uh, by accusing Judge Black of bias against householder. Um, uh, Mark Marin, uh, he's an attorney, one of the four attorneys for householder, and he lodged uh, that complaint twice. Okay. All right. Now, they both face up to 20 years in prison. That's correct. Um, and Judge Black will be the one who does the sentencing. The pre-sentence report takes between 70 and 90 days, so the, the sentencing isn't going to happen anytime soon. They were not remanded into custody. They were left out on bond. What, why so long? You know, people have been asking me, why so long for a pre-sentencing I report? think that the pre-sentencing reports take that long. Um, you know, I think the federal system, I'm not really sure why they, you know, why they don't just take them into custody right away. Okay. And um, Natalie, you had a post-verdict interview with Tyler Tyler Fairman, who was a whistleblower in the case. What what did he have to say? 
he I mean overwhelmingly he just said he was relieved to hear two guilty verdicts um he said pretty much the jury agreed with him and what he knows to be true that there was bribery that there were threats um that there was pay to play action so overall he was just really relieved to see those two guilty verdicts what was his testimony like Laura Tyler's yeah uh so he came in um uh, a little later in the trial, I think he, there was like some giant snowstorm. He lives in Minnesota now. There's some giant snowstorm that had kind of yeah. socked him in for a few days. Um, and, you know, I thought his testimony was pretty clear. And um, he said that this was um, Matt Borges was his mentor and his friend. And that during the heat of the the referendum fight, um, Tyler was on the pro-referendum side and Borges worked against it, that he used his knowledge of Tyler's personal um, situation, like some back child support and some financial issues, um, to as leverage um, to try to get him to, to give him insider information. And initially, when he, when he said to Matt, well, I got to think about this, this offer, um, uh, and then he, he sent a very strong te- text message to him like the next day saying, my integrity's not for sale, I can't possibly do that, even though I'd love to have a bunch of money to take care of my financial issues. I just can't do it. And then he called the FBI, and the FBI asked him to re-engage. And Borges initially uh, responded with some suspicion. He was like, well, you kind of creeped me out. Why is it that yesterday your integrity wasn't for sale, but today you're, you've changed your mind? Um, and and so anyway, it was it was interesting. He, he kind of like laid out the whole process, and um, it was interesting. You're listening to All Sides with Ann Fisher on 89.7 NPR News. It's our weekly reporter roundtable. That's Laura Bischoff, politics and state government reporter for the USA Today Network Ohio Bureau. Also with us, Natalie Fami. She is a statehouse reporter for WCMH-TV and Channel 4. Laura Hancock, statehouse reporter with Cleveland.com. We're talking about uh, the verdict in the Larry Householder and Matt Borges case, biggest uh, public corruption case in Ohio history. Um I'm interested, Laura Hancock, what do you make of Governor DeWine's decision to quote-unquote respectfully decline to comment through his spokesman? You had that with Governor DeWine, um, Ohio Senate President Matt Huffman, and Ohio House Speaker Jason Stevens. All three of those, um, when contacted, were ready with their no-comment response. I think they just don't want their story, their names and stories associated with this scandal. At my publication, Cleveland.com, we decided to do a separate story listing that they didn't want to comment, you know, because we can't be manipulated by their PR tactic. And so now John Husted, when the verdict came down, John Husted was doing a press conference at the time. And so one of the reporters in the audience said, hey, they were found guilty. What do you think? And he did talk a little bit. He said that usually the justice system gets it right and that hopefully that this will be a lesson for future people, you know, to not do corruption. So, um, but the other three do not want their names associated with House Bill 6 at all. I mean, Lieutenant Governor Husted spent a lot of time working on get the legislation and working on favorable terms for First Energy and House Bill 6. Um, did he respond to any questions about that? Well, I was watching the press conference, which was up in Cleveland, and I was watching it on Facebook Live, and all of a sudden it went dark after those comments. So I have no idea if he said anything else. Um, you know, I mean, the the the, the um 
DeWine administration was largely kept out of it, but in very, you know, it was really obvious at the time when he signed the bill, it was practically, you know, it was grease lightning, you know, through the legislature in the first place. It hit his desk, and usually he's got to study everything, and suddenly this gigantic bill, he just knows it well enough to sign it the same day it hits his desk. That's true. The governor signed it the same day it hit his desk, um, and John Husted um, uh, pushed for um, First Energy Solutions, now known as Energy Harbor, with the owner of the plants, to make sure that they got um, you know multiple years of subsidy. Um, so uh, I can see why they kind of want to avoid this at this point. It's a terrible look for Ohio. Um. I did ask Matt Huffman last week what he thought about Senate it, president. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, whether House Bill 6, the parts that have not been repealed, whether it should just be repealed mm-hmm. completely. And he said that he no, he doesn't want that because it would go back to the clean energy standards that were in place beforehand, which he does not want. And he said he wouldn't mind looking at the two power plants, the coal power plants that we are subsidizing in Ohio and Indiana. And he said he didn't have a problem looking at that and seeing if they're still running at a loss. If they're no longer running at a loss, they don't need money, and Ohio should quit subsidizing them. What about the officials with First Energy who have admitted they bribed? Um, well, the officials didn't admit. The The company itself, the corporation, the company, First Energy Corporation, right. signed Thank a you. deferred prosecution agreement in July of 2021, and they paid a t- the, the company paid a $230 million um settlement fee and agreed to to cooperate with with prosecutors. So that's that's how you ended up seeing like just got like they introduced about 900 exhibits uh, into evidence and a whole bunch of them were um, emails and text messages that were obtained through search warrants to um, First, First Energy, Energy right. Yeah. And um, so you know First Energy um, cooperated it fired its um top staff chuck jones um, mike dowling some other key people um cleared house of its lobbying staff and it's now operating also through almost an entirely new uh, board of directors that's been a big turnover in the corporate board um so then the the question the open question and i tried to get ken parker the u.s attorney to talk about this immediately after the householder conviction is like are, is the Department of Justice going to go after the executives who were in the C-suite when this scheme was was um, hatched, 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 and ex- executed? And uh, you know he wouldn't bite at all. He's not. Uh, but, he's he's not no blabbing su- to me. He should blab to me <laughs> publicly. It's, we also don't know if like Sam Randazzo, yes. who was the former chairman of the PUCO of Ohio and received, I believe, was a four million, four point three uh, as a final payment, right. but had been paid like over ten years. It's like, 26, like 20, 22 million dollars. Okay. Yeah, from First Energy. A lot of money. Yeah. And. Um, Randazzo has claimed through his attorney all along that he did nothing wrong. Although First Energy, in its concession, did say that it had also bribed Sam Randazzo. Right. So we don't know if anything's coming with that. There's a lot of kind of leftover things. Dave Yost has a lawsuit against First Energy that was put on pause in Franklin County Court of Common Police. And that will probably pick up. Over what? Um, Some of it was just to against, you know, the whole state is paying to bail out those nuclear power plants. The state legislature did repeal that part, though. Mm-hmm. But there's other things that he's trying to go after. There's, I believe, four investigations at the PUCO that were put on pause. Okay. Um, so, yeah, there's just lots of little odds and ends that could 
end up, you know. End up biting somebody. Um, yeah, First Energy really kind of faces an alphabet soup of um, of investigations from the Department of Justice, the, the DOJ, the FBI, the Securities and Exchange Commission, um, all these um, um, shareholder lawsuits, the Dave Yost lawsuit, um, you know, investigations by the PUCO. The Federal Energy Regulatory Commission also issued a a pretty scathing um, audit maybe a year or so ago. There's a lot of cleanup to be done based on that. So they're not out of the woods. Exactly. More shoes to drop. And um, I'm wondering about Juan Cespuedes and Jeff Longstreth. Uh, Their sentencing is pending as well, right? Correct. And they each signed um, uh, guilty pleas the same day that First Energy fired its top executives back in October of 2020. And under the agreement, if they cooperated and were truthful and, you know, that the the government would recommend, um, the government would recommend no more than um, six months in prison for, for each of them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Matt Borges was offered the same deal uh, and declined. And Larry Householder was not offered any such deal. Um. We're going to take a break. There's some other more more issues I want to talk about related to the House Bill 6 uh, corruption scandal. It's so far it's taken, at least temporarily, uh, guilty pleas for, uh, I'm sorry, guilty verdicts for Larry Householder, former House Speaker of the Ohio House, and uh, uh, Matt Borges, former chair of the Ohio Republican Party. Um, both were found guilty on Thursday uh, for their roles in a $61 million bribery scheme to bail out two nuclear power plants, among other things, uh, by First Energy. We'll be right back. This is All Sides with Ann Fisher on 89.7 NPR News. This is Chip Brantley, co-host of the NPR podcast, White Lies. Before we found the man in Vancouver, before we sued the State Department, before we snuck into the graveyard of a federal penitentiary, all we had were the photographs. Photographs of a group of Cuban men standing on the roof of a prison in rural Alabama. That's this season on the NPR podcast, White Lies. Welcome back to All Sides. It's our weekly reporter roundtable. Still with us, Laura Hancock of Cleveland.com, Natalie Fami of WCMH-TV, and Laura Bischoff of the USA Today Network Ohio Bureau. We're still talking about um, the uh, verdicts uh, that came out on Thursday, uh, found guilty uh, both former Ohio House Speaker Larry Householder and former Ohio uh, Ohio Republican Party Chairman Matt Borges for their roles in a uh, $61 million uh, bribery scandal uh, that revolved around um, what's commonly known as House Bill 6, which would have uh, created a bailout process for two nuclear power plants owned by First Energy, also a couple of coal mines in other states, and all kinds of other things, including getting rid of um, all the clean energy regulations and rules uh, put in place probably about 
12 years ago. Uh, if you erase those, um, there's a lot going on, uh, but it, all of it is uh, still in play. I mean, these verdicts are not the end of the story. Um, Allison Russo, an Upper Arlington Democrat, said her caucus plans to reintroduce anti-corruption legislation to uh, shine a light on those dark money donations. That's where this all goes back to. Um, Natalie Fami, what are the odds that there's actually going to get something passed in the Ohio General Assembly that addresses what went wrong in this case? I think the odds of actually, I think we're going to see a few lawmakers introduce bills like that, but I think the odds of actually getting it across the finish line are probably going to be fairly low. Why is that? Because this has hit the Republican Party so badly it seems like since they control the Ohio General Assembly, some people might think, well, wouldn't they want to step up and fix the problem? Well, not everyone in the Republican Party who's currently a lawmaker actually thinks that there was a major corruption issue. I mean, we saw Representative Bill Seitz go and testify for the defense. Um, he largely talked about House Bill 6 and how he stands by that legislation. So I don't think everyone sees it the same way in the state house, And I think making their lives more difficult in terms of getting donations from company that companies and um, entities that's just something they're not going to want to do what do you think laura yeah i don't i don't think it's very likely because there are all sorts of dark money efforts that can fund things that they will need in the future at the top of my head i'm thinking maybe the 60 percent threshold to get Mm. citizen initiated constitutional amendments passed that could be one you know just just little things like that that um rely sometimes on dark money they benefit from dark money benefit from the public not knowing who's funding their campaigns mm -hmm. yeah there's mm -hmm. a whole rabbit hole of dark money groups out there and they they just pop up and um and uh laura's right they they are super popular vehicles that come up even with like new issues um ballot issues or campaigns, et cetera. You know, it's interesting is like, like the idea of changing the Ohio ethics laws, um, you know, as it is, there's JLEC, which is the Joint Legislative Ethics Committee. It's a self-policing system. Mm -hmm. Larry Householder was the co-chair. Right. Um, and, you know, on cross-examination by U.S. Attorney Emily Gladfelter, she went after him for filing false financial disclosure statements um, in which he didn't have any mention of his like a, a one point something million dollar judgment against him or that he owned this particular company or that he owed money to Jeff Longstreth or got a big fat gift from Jeff Longstreth. None of that was um, disclosed. disclosed. Yeah. And so, you know, um, again, it's a self-policing system. The Ohio Ethics Commission, you know, they have uh, pretty small staff and like thirteen thousand filers that they have to mm -hmm. that they have to keep track of, and all the um, have to do ethics training for public officials at the state, local, and um, county level. And uh, you know, they they can only really dig into the veracity of the disclosures when they get a tip that something might be wrong. And even looking back to like two thousand and fourteen, I think it was when. Uh, Clayton Lucky, um, he was a state representative from um, from the Dayton area, Democrat, and he um, diverted one hundred thirty thousand dollars out of his campaign account for personal use, and he went to prison for that. But at the time, you know, it was pointed out that there's no ability by the Secretary of State's office to look at the underlying bank accounts to determine whether or not the you know they're filing accurate um, records. So, 
I mean, we've had scandal after scandal. This is a big doozy here, mm-hmm. and maybe maybe it might prompt some change, but the previous um, iterations and, and problems have not led to any kind of massive reform. There have been bills for at least the last three years that I know of, and they've never really passed. Democrats have always introduced them. Well, I feel like Sandy O'Brien had a bill, and she's a Republican in the Senate, um, and they just don't get very many hearings before they die. Uh, is this something that uh, a citizen's initiative could Well, sure. Address? I mean, they could do the state-initiated statute and say, like, you know, we want more disclosure from lobbyists and we, we want disclosure on dark money and we want um, all this stuff. But, yeah. you know, campaign finance and, and ethics is not a big motivating um issue like abortion or gun rights or things like that so i I can't see that they're you know people are not going to be out on the state house lawn with uh torches and pitchforks demanding change um nally fami what's your sense about how plugged in people are to this except of course people who listen to this show (laughs) are weekly plugged into it but but every day I don't think a lot of everyday folks are super plugged into what was happening the past seven weeks in Cincinnati. Um, I think even discussions in newsrooms is how much are we going to cover this? How much are people actually paying attention to it? And while it's a really important story, um, I just think some people might just think it's politics as usual. Some people think this isn't really affecting me. So why why are we going to care about this big bribery scheme? So I just don't think people are very plugged into it. Well, let's talk about how it affected people. I mean, we know that the House Bill 6, as it was written and passed, um, has now been um, repealed. This part of it was that every ratepayer in the state, not just first energy ratepayers, but every rate electric ratepayer in the state would be pitching in uh, money on their bill every week to help with this bailout. Right, Laura? Yeah, and um, they would argue that, well, it's still cheaper to, if you're an EEP customer, to pay this fee that bails out first energy than the charges for the renewable energy standards that existed before House Bill 6 repealed them. So they would argue that, um, but it's just, it's been, it would take like a really gifted communicator to kind of show the relevancy. The Democrats haven't been able to really capitalize on it. In fact, they, the right after the election that occurred after the arrests, they lost more seats in the Mm -hmm. house. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and then one of the seats that they did win was by defeating a Republican, Dave Greenspan, who was one of the people who called the FBI concerned about this. So it was like kind of the one, you know, like kind of, quote, good guy yeah. in this whole thing. And he ended up getting defeated. Hmm. What do you think, Laura? You know, if this is politics as usual, then that's very bad. Um, and I think that this case in particular, you know, the the feds don't um, go after, you know, the booster club president who skimmed $1,000 off the candy sales account. Mm-hmm. This is an egregious case in which $61 million flowed from a from a Fortune 500 company in, in exchange for a massive bailout. And um, I think that, that, that this is the re- this this case should put down a bright line of, you know, you you can't go this far. You can't um, you can't have a bribe agreement in which, you know, you say you'll be you be my political benefactor and get me political power and I'll I'll do your bidding in the in the legislature which is what 
Larry Householder was convicted of doing. I, w- I want to hear from um, something from uh, after the verdict, U.S. Attorney Kenneth Parker, um, and what he said about what this means for Ohioans. You cannot sell the public trust. You cannot sell the public trust. It is not for sale. And you cannot conspire with others to sell the public trust. Okay, so does this, I mean, if nothing changes, could this happen again? It could. Um, I think it definitely sends a strong signal, or hopefully I think lawmakers who I talk to think they think it sends a strong signal to other players in the state house that this type of action won't be tolerated. But if no meaningful legislation is passed, then it can happen again. Um, there's There's nothing stopping anyone. Because it was quirky how they figured this out in the first place, right? Well, they got a couple of big breaks. Uh, for yeah, one thing, they got like, a couple of big breaks. That's you know. Uh, well, also, I mean, I think it's also very. It's not by luck. It's big breaks. It's also a lot of hard work. The, of course, the, the FBI set up this its public corruption team back in like fifteen years ago, and this is sort of the culmination of a lot of sourcing and building, and you know, one case leads to another, leads yeah. to another, leads to another, and in this instance. You know, they were investigating Cincinnati City Council members and P.G. Sittenfeld, um, city council member who was convicted. And they got they they did an undercover sting in which um, they had undercover office of agents posing as real estate developers uh, interested in a sports betting book. Right. And they ended up finding out that the guy to hire would be Neil Clark. So they hire Neil Clark and they get him on tape. Just talking about how, oh, yeah, you got to pay dark money uh, into all these groups. Everybody's got them and blah, blah, blah. So um, they had, you know, they had him on tape. They tapped Neil Clark's phone, and then they started hearing conversations that Neil Clark had with Larry Householder. They never tapped Householder or Borges' phones. So they got a big break in that, you know, remember Neil? He was a big talker. Big player for years big and years player, and years. Big player, big talker. Yeah. And, um, and then... Um, the other big break was Tyler Furman. You know that he decided that he he was so unsettled uh, by by Matt Borges' um, discussion that he called the FBI and he was willing to wear a wire. Um, so this could happen again. Is the bottom line? I mean, unless there's there is kind of that fear thing, like people who knew Matt Borges and Larry Householder personally you know probably have watched them go through this crisis in their lives tons of money being spent we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars spent on their defense legal defense and um you know just to keep them out of prison and that's you know and then if they do get ultimately sent to prison after the appeals and everything then what happens you know how do they rebuild so that I mean, there is that's kind of a deterrent is just kind of the fact that there's a prosecution. But no, without a meaningful law change in the state house, we can't nobody can sit here and say, like, our government is less corrupt. I mean, it's not to say that nothing happened, that nothing came about, I, you know, because of this investigation in this case. House Bill six was state law and it's partially unraveled because of this case. Mm-hmm. The Speaker of the House was arrested and removed because of this case. He was expelled, like the first guy in 150-plus years, Mm -hmm. expelled from office. A Fortune 500 company based in Ohio cleaned house of its executive staff, paid a $230 million fine, and changed its uh, board leadership. And now we have convictions. So 
I, I don't think that that's going unnoticed by people. Um, the next question is, do they go after the First Energy executives individually and maybe Sam Randazzo? And, um, you know, do they close the loop on that end? And does it change behavior long term in terms of dark money use? I wanted to hear um, the cuts. We have a couple of cuts from um, Matt Borges, a former uh, uh, state GOP chairman and um, and also uh, Larry Householder, former Speaker of the Ohio House. Let's start with Larry Householder. I think that uh, the justice system is what it is, and there's a process. This is one step to the process, and we're going to utilize every process we can in the judicial system until we get it right. And then uh, Matt Borges. I did not believe that anything proved that I had committed and that I had engaged in a, a racketeering conspiracy, which is why I fought this from the beginning. This fight is not over as far as I'm concerned, um, but uh, you know, I don't know really what else to say at this point in time other than uh, we'll move on and take it to whatever the next step is. Very different demeanors from when they entered the courthouse seven odd weeks ago, um, right Laura? Yeah, when Larry Householder showed up for, um, for the first day of um, opening uh, statements. You know, he was holding hands with his wife, and he was holding, basically, held a gaggle on the courtroom floor before th- before the 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 judge came in. Um, and it was like he had never put the the gavel down. I mean, he he was, um, you know, same old Larry Householder, still speaker in his own mind. Yeah, I mean, still, and I, I think he, I think he and Matt Borges were pretty confident that they were that they were going to be acquitted. And up until the very last day, Larry Householder would tell reporters walking out of the courthouse, things are going great, things are going well. You know, he he was, at least he put on the front that he was confident until the very end there. He testified on his own behalf. Yeah, and I think that was, um, you know, I think that was a calculation on his part. I think he wanted to talk. And, you know, he's a, he's a skilled communicator. He spent his entire career convincing people to to join his team or give money to his campaign or or what have you. Um, and and for a while there, you know, that day that was a bright spot for him because he he really turned on his uh, country boy charm and and um, he almost sounded like a like a high school civics teacher explaining politics to the jurors. Mm. Um, but then the next day was absolutely brutal for him. Emily Emily Gladfelter was um, it was almost like she had memorized all nine hundred exhibits. She didn't bobble the ball once, and she. Um, she just dismantled his claims one by one. He would, he would, uh, you know, she says, well, you testified that you came back to end divisiveness in politics. Is that right? And he says, yeah, that's right. And then she's like, well, let's roll the tape. And then she rolls out a, a an audio of him talking to Neil Clark saying super vulgar things. About getting the other side. About getting the other side. Yeah. And, you know, and then she, she, she uh, asked him about... Um, he went to the games, uh, the World Series in 2016 up in Cleveland, and he um, he said that, oh, yeah, well, I went to Game 7, and there was a rain delay, so I just, like, you know, ducked into the first energy box. And she, you know, teased out this testimony from him about, well, how is it that you got to go to the box? For those of us not in a box, explain how that works. And he goes, well, you know, you just go box to box where, you know, corporations have, have boxes. And it was just, it was really stunning. Um, I think the limousine photo also was oh. kind of a Perry Mason moment. Um, oh, and the Charlie tell us, Parker. Tell us about that. Okay, oh. So, um, 
First Energy paid for Larry Householder and his son to take their private plane to go to Donald Trump's inauguration. And um, Larry Householder said, well, I paid him back. And, like, we stayed in a hotel, me and my son, and we, like, really didn't interact with them all week, all weekend long. We were all doing different things. And then she shows a picture of him getting out of a limo or getting into one with executives of First Energy. <laughs> in Washington. And so I think that showed not only um, – he has that, a really bad memory. <laughs> that, yeah, that he was not being completely transparent about that. But also, jurors could see that he was capable of telling mistruths. He also, he also, um, you know, she Emily Gladfelter went after him about, well, it looks like Tony George paid your $1,500 hotel bill. There, do you see this email here? He booked, the, he booked yours, and then a minute later he booked uh, Chuck Jones's. And, you know, did you ever pay back? Did you not know who's paying your your hotel bill and he was sort of stammering and saying well I thought the Republican Party paid it and you know they should have sent me a bill and you know hmm. yeah and I, I think that limo photo um, it was householder son I believe it was Mike Dowling um, who was the VP of First Energy at the senior time. vice Se- president for senior government relations um, and he and you know Householder's face wasn't exactly in the photo, but Householder's son was there. The VP was there, and it was right outside. The limo was located right outside the steak restaurant where the whole plan was allegedly hatched. And Householder's like, oh, no, I never went anywhere near there. And then, you know, his son's in the limo right there. You know, you and have the ge- they used the geolocation mm-hmm. and the and the time stamp. And, yeah, it was very much a per- Perry Mason moment. There was another one where he... You know, he took this flight uh, in January of 17 on the first energy jet arranged by Tony George. And um, and in in March of tw- 2017, I did a story for the Dayton Daily News about how he was making a comeback for speaker. Mm-hmm. And somebody had tipped me off that he took this flight. And so I asked him, it was like my last question of the interview, and it's hard to throw him off, right? Mm-hmm. But he was back on his heels a little bit. And he goes, oh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to pay that back. I, you know, I'm just waiting on a bill. So Gladfelter got him on um, on the right. She said, "Okay, so you paid you paid that back, right, on March 29th." And they pop up his bank account statement. It shows the the transfer of money. And she goes, "But didn't didn't the Dayton Daily News publish a story before that? Did that prompt the did that prompt the payment?" And I was sitting in the front row of the courtroom, and Larry Household looks right at me, and he <laughs> goes, "No, that did not prompt the payment." <laughs> oh man. Um, well. I just have a feeling this isn't over. Uh, Dave DeVillers, former U.S. attorney for the Southern District, in an interview over the weekend suggested that more charges may be coming. Uh, I know he's not with them anymore, but thoughts about that? I think this thing, it's kind of going to keep on growing, and more people are going to, I mean, whether it's first energy executives or other players in the scandal, I I really don't think it's over, um, especially now that they have these two guilty verdicts and all this evidence already stacked up. I think that gives them, the prosecution, more power to be able to go after people. Yeah, because look at who didn't plea, mm-hmm. uh, plead out and, and, and support and, and help out. We're going to take a quick break. This is our weekly reporter roundtable. That's Natalie Fami, Statehouse reporter for WCMH-TV. Also with us, Laura Bischoff, politics and state government reporter for USA Today Network Ohio Bureau, and Laura Hancock, Statehouse reporter with Cleveland.com. This is All Sides with Ann Fisher on 89.7 NPR News.
This is Chip Brantley, co-host of the NPR podcast, White Lies. Before we found the man in Vancouver, before we sued the State Department, before we snuck into the graveyard of a federal penitentiary, all we had were the photographs. Photographs of a group of Cuban men standing on the roof of a prison in rural Alabama. That's this season on the NPR podcast, White Lies. Welcome back to All Sides. Uh, it is our weekly reporter roundtable. Still with us, Laura Hancock, Statehouse reporter with Cleveland.com. Natalie Fami is Statehouse reporter for WCMH-TV. And Laura Bischoff, politics and state government reporter for USA Today Network, Ohio Bureau. Environmental activist Erin Brockovich was talking to NPR last week. She said she will return to East Palestine, Ohio, Again this week, it'll be her fourth trip there to check on residents who report a host of medical issues. They go to the doctor, their throats mm. like have pits, like burn marks in them. They're being diagnosed with, you know, chemical, you know, acute kind of respiratory issues, terrible rashes. We're starting to get more people getting phone calls from the state health department that their wells are contaminated. I've just never seen such a... a a sad mismanaged situation in my entire career. Uh, also last week, uh, Senator Bernie Sanders pressed Norfolk Southern CEO Alan Shaw on whether the company would cover East Palestine residents' health care costs. When Shaw didn't answer right away, Sanders pressed again. And after a pause, the CEO answered by saying that all options are on the table. Um, Laura Hancock, the health issues are not going away for the residents of East Palestine. Erin Brockovich has seen her share of environmental disasters, so her take on this is noteworthy. Mm -hmm. um, what's the latest with the state response? I mean, Governor DeWine on Friday sent out a message saying that he is disappointed at the rate at which the federal government is removing the contaminated soil and water and that it needs to be going faster. US EPA requires pre-approval before it goes into the sites. DeWine's perspective is like, well, these sites are professionals at disposing hazardous waste. No pre-approvals, just take it out now. But you know, they're being they're traveling on maybe rail trucks. Anyway, going through other communities. So um DeWine has known, you know, to kind of like go off on the federal government through the press. He did this when Battelle invented that PPE like recycling machine during the pandemic. Oh, for the masks. That ended yeah. up being a dud, yeah. Um, he did a press release saying that the report that the federal government needed to hurry up and approve that too. So um but you know like it's very interesting hearing Aaron Brockovich saying the state and the federal government aren't really talking to each other and they don't seem to know what's going on and they're all deferring to the polluter, she said, which was Norfolk Southern. So um so that's not good. And she gave some on that show, um, NPR show, she gave some advice that I thought was really smart to the residents, which is just like, anytime you have a sore throat, write it down. Anytime you go to a meeting, you know, write it down, like who was there, what was discussed, you know, just document everything. And I mean, Norfolk Southern CEO was before Congress basically saying, or before the U.S. Senate saying, everything's on the table. So it sounds like they're already planning to negotiate some kind of settlement. Hmm. Um, Aaron Brockovich, you know, represents a law firm, of course. So, you know, they're probably trying to drum up business as well. Probably. But like I said earlier, she doesn't throw herself around, you know, willy nilly. Right. In every every um, uh disaster site. The Columbus Dispatch reported that from 2013 to 2022, at least 231 train chemical spills 
uh, and leaks uh, racked up more than $17 million in response and cleanup, which doesn't sound like a lot, Natalie. So, but, but in any event, this is not a new problem, right? Not a new problem. And we saw, I believe, last weekend, too, another train derailment, another Norfolk Southern train derailment. So I don't think the derailments are a new problem. I just think it's the magnitude at which this one happened in East Palestine that's creating issues, whether that's worrying about the long term health effects, about the water, about the air. Um, so I, I not a new issue at all and something that um, now both at the state level and federal level they're trying to address railway safety rail transport safety but you have to wonder sometimes maybe it's a little too little too late, too late. yeah it's kind of shocking though I mean when you look at the numbers In the and last- how little we know about this yeah, late rail traffic actually has decreased in the last 10 years. However, they're expecting it to increase. And they use longer trains. Right. And Yeah, exactly. I mean, the one that derailed in East Palestine had 149 cars. It was 1.8 miles long. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, that's not that's, how they That's were. something that doesn't, I mean, you know, that <laughs> stays in my it's brain. It's really stunning. With a couple people running it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, what's interesting is the the Biden administration didn't allow the rail workers to strike. I think it was mm-hmm. late last year. And there was a lot of complaints about, you know, low staffing and, and, and bad hours. And, and, yeah, no no sick time. Yeah. Right. And that if you let the rail workers strike, then the supply chain issues become very, very acute very quickly. And that's, I think that's the argument against it. But the argument for allowing a strike would be to actually better the conditions and have... Um, better safety. Uh, And I'm also wondering, Matt Rand of WSU uh, reported on a derailment up in Delaware County uh, in someone's practically in their backyard that never was reported on. Um, And it's still a mess up there. They haven't, but it's not, there wasn't toxic waste involved in it, but the cars haven't been removed. It hasn't been cleaned up yet. And um, apparently this is pretty common, but you don't know about it. Wait, they just leave the the derailed cars so far, in place? They, yeah, they just don't have them, haven't had it cleaned up yet. I think they just was on need the, to get a crane, right? Yeah, I guess. Someone, a crane for a train? Yeah. Well, every, every train should carry its own crane. Um, so uh, I guess we'll just see, but um, I'm wondering about, I was going to ask about the governor's response to all of this and you know how much power he really has. I mean, that's kind of one of the things that I think this federal legislation is trying to address is that real is all through the federal government. So like a state can't even know what kind of hazardous materials are being you know driven through the state. And, and that what would qualifies be, as hazardous materials right. would not have included the vinyl chloride. That's true. That's true. So um, so that I know the federal legislation does allow the states to get information such as that. Um, yeah, I mean, Governor DeWine seems a, more confident that North Folk Southern is going to take care of everything than I think the residents are. I think the residents, and also you're seeing like JD Vance, who's coming today. Mm-hmm. Um, he, you know, very much Senator blames, JD Vance, yeah, right. and he he very much blames on the Biden administration and Pete Buttigieg, and then the Biden administration and Pete Buttigieg are blaming it on Trump, who like relaxed a bunch of rail rules. You know, it's just I don't know if people in East Palestine. If they've got like a if they've got a rash, I don't know if they're particularly like concerned about which political party's fault it is, and then they have a world of problems with that Senate hearing. It was very interesting. Ed Mark Markey from Massachusetts 
to ask the CEO of Northwest Southern, will you make these residents whole in terms of property value loss? Because, I mean, there are residents who are, like, planning their retirements, wanted to sell their home, move right. somewhere else. And, again, he was like, that's on the table, you know, so... We'll see. We'll, yeah. You know, Laura, Ohio Supreme Court Chief Justice Sharon Kennedy has appointed uh, a 12th District Court of Appeals Judge Matthew Byrne to hear the quote-unquote heartbeat bill. Um, he served on a Pregnancy Crisis Center advisory board. What's going on there? Because Justice Dieter recused himself over conflicts. Yeah, newly appointed Justin Joe, or Justice Joe Dieters was previously Hamilton County prosecutor and he was a co-defendant on the case that was brought over the heartbeat bill by the abortion clinics. So the abortion clinics asked him to recuse himself. He did. And then it falls, you know, if you look at the state law court rules, it falls to the chief justice, which is Sharon Kennedy, to replace that judge. And so she went with a judge. And you you would hope that, you know, he just um, the judge just, you know, sets his views aside and just looks at the issues of the case. But mm-hmm. who knows? I mean, th- I talked to the abortion clinics and said, well, you ask this judge to recuse himself, the replacement judge. And they're like, well, we're still deciding what we're going to do. Um, this judge could theoretically take all the appeals in this case. And, you know, everything will be appealed back and forth, mm-hmm. up and down, um, because Joe Dieters probably will be recused for the entire mm-hmm. duration of the case. Hmm. I mean, (laughs) I'm trying to wrap my brain around the fact this guy, you know, this judge. I suppose that, you know, somebody could raise an issue and ask him to be recused uh, because of this. We'll see if that actually happens. And, you know, in other uh, women's health slash abortion rights issues, uh, Walgreens has told Attorney General David Yost that it will not dispense Mephepristone, uh, an abortion-inducing drug, making Ohio one of 20 states where it won't be available. Um, they were, resp- you know, in these 20 states, uh, states attorneys general sent these letters to them saying, you know, I'm not quite sure what. Um, they said that. Will hassle you, uh, something effective. <laughs> they're saying that even though the Biden administration is allowing retail pharmacy, pharmacies to participate in a program where they can dispense mifepristone and another abortion-inducing drug um, at their retail locations and also through the mail, they say that they cite a federal law that says you cannot mail abortion drugs. And so they're saying that that would be illegal. It's ultimately going to be decided by the courts. Mm-hmm. It looks like Walgreens... Yeah, there's nothing prohibiting it in Ohio at this point. Well, we do have a telemedicine abortion ban. Yes, but you could go to the drugstore and get it. Or Well, if it was mailed in, say, from okay. somewhere else. Okay. So, um, so, yeah. So, but Walgreens has retreated. They're not going to participate in Ohio and these 20 other states... Um, and like CVS is radio silent on yeah. the issue. And so we'll see. It's, it's already becoming an issue in like the presidential election. Um, former Vice President Mike Pence is talking a lot about it. Okay. There's too many issues to cover, but I, I did want to ask Natalie, there's a bill that would decrease the age to be a police officer from 21 to 18. That's right. Um, so that, they're not old enough to drink. Not old enough to drink, hardly old enough to vote at that point. Um, yeah, the whole idea behind it is at least the sponsors of the bill and um, President Senate President Matt Huffman say it's to help workforce. They say police departments are having a really difficult time um, both recruiting and retaining. So they... 
they think it'll help workforce. And Senate President Matt Huffman told me, um, you know, there's some 18 year olds who are just mature as a 40 year old and maybe they'll have to be under more scrutiny who when said they go. This? Sen- Senate President Matt Huffman. Oh, Matt yeah. Huffman, okay. Said maybe there'll be more scrutiny when they go through their training, but I think uh, it can be done well and it can be done the right way. And not only is there a Senate bill, but there's now a companion bill in the House. Um, so it's moving through kind of on both sides of the state house now. Hmm. Why wait till 18? Like, let's go to 16 to get mm-hmm. your driver's license. Then you get your driver's license, right. Yeah. Uh, um, the Ohio Senate passed a bill last week that would require students to learn concepts of free market capitalism. <laughs> Are they also going to be learning about communism, socialism? Um, well, to- the... The, it's totalitarianism. like ten concepts, and some of them are like, if you have a free market economy, generally you have like competitive elections, and you know, like a good democracy. It's things that are kind of ideological. You know that probably in Ohio, seventy percent of people would agree. Why? I don't know. So Ohio students already starting last school year had to start taking one quarter before graduation of financial literacy. That's mm-hmm. a really common thing throughout the country. Mm-hmm. All college or all high school kids are having to do that. And so they're going to cram this in to that class. Um, they want the students to understand how you get, you know, how you own your labor and then you get a job and you work in this economy and you know they think that these are really good principles so students can learn how to be like effective capitalists Mm -hmm. um now democrats only one democrat voted against it so Hmm. Hmm. i mean i I started out as a capitalist at a young age started you know (laughs) shoveling snow and babysitting cutting grass yeah i was a babysitter uh, well, there's not enough time to get to anything else um, there, but there is so much going on, and I appreciate you guys taking the time to join us today. Uh, Natalie Fami, State House reporter for WCMH TV, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. And Laura Hancock, State House reporter with Cleveland.com, thanks so much. Thank you. And Laura Bischoff, um, knocked it out of the park in your coverage of the seven week trial of Larry Householder and Matt Borges uh, from USA Today Network Ohio Bureau, thanks so much. Thanks. I also had my sidekick, Jesse Ballmer, to help And Jesse Ballmer, of course, yes. Um, yes. They're, and I think, is the coverage available for free on the... No, but there's a great subscription sale. There's a great subscription sale. So everybody, sign okay, up, sign get up. your subscription, and it's cheaper than a cup of coffee. Catch up. It is. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. This is All Sides with Ann Fisher on 89.7 NPR News. Mm-hmm.